we're back with the tech policy grind. I'm Rima Musa, and I'm a fellow with the Internet Law and Policy Foundry, the organization where the next generation of tech law and policy professionals convene to write, think, and talk about the web, technology, and disruptive innovation. This is the Tech Policy Grind, the Foundry's podcast where we chat about what's going on in the world of tech policy. Hey everyone, welcome back to the show. Apologies for the background noise on this one. Uh, I am currently recording from the airport because sometimes that's just how the chaos of life goes. But for this episode, I wanted to sit down and catch up with some of our new Foundry fellows who joined the Foundry back in February of this year and who have been working behind the scenes both on this podcast and some other Foundry initiatives and events. So I chatted with Zia Mohammed, who's based in New York City, Daniela Guzman-Pena, who is also based in New York City and is also the producer of the show since she joined the Foundry, as well as Evan Enzer, who's based in Austin, Texas, and is the new editor of our show. So hope you enjoy getting to know them and hope you enjoy this episode. Evan, Daniela, thank you so much for joining on this side of the pod. Normally, um, all three of us are in the proverbial production booth behind the scenes making the show happen. Evan Enzer, our lovely editor and Daniela Guzman-Pena, our lovely producer behind the scenes. If you could share just a little bit about who you are, what you do, and what you're interested in. Yeah, I think I can give it a go. I am Daniela Guzman-Pena, and the reason I got into the Foundry is because I was recently um, changing careers um, from being in the journalism and sort of nonprofit communication space into tech and specifically trust and safety. And in 2022, when I started this new job, I was really interested in just staying up to date on all things tech policy. And one of the ways that I was doing that beyond just, you know, reading articles in the news and getting newsletters was looking for podcasts that specifically spoke about tech policy, um, any any news related to sort of what was going on in the internet space and the intersection with law. Um, and I found the tech policy grind and heard Rima's amazing interviews with people from all across the internet law and policy sector, from you know people in government to uh, people working inside companies um, to experts that you know were just speaking about the most relevant themes uh, in this space, and I had to know. I had to know who was behind this amazing podcast, um, and that's how I found the Foundry. And when I looked up the bios of everyone who was part of the Foundry, I said, you know. There are a lot of folks here that are from sort of the legal world and looking to either, um, you know, go into cyber law 
um, or work at a company in sort of a inside uh, in-house counsel capacity on these issues. Um, but I didn't see that many like technologists or practitioners um, in that space. And I thought, let me just give it a go. I'm really new to tech and trust and safety in general, but I'd love to sort of bring my perspective of being a non-traditional internet policy and tech policy practitioner and sort of bringing in that um, perspective of my work in journalism and international affairs. So that's a little about me. Like Daniela, I'm a class five fellow. Uh, My name is Evan Enzer. Um, My work is in a little bit of a flux right now. I've just left working at the Surveillance Technology Oversight Project. I still am working at STOP, um, but no longer full-time. What I've been doing there for the last two years was a lot of policy and law development and advocacy. So coming up with ideas for what internet policy should look like, drafting legislation or regulations to help us get there, and then advocating for those those policies that I developed. Um, and I'm going to be doing consulting for a while. So I have a few clients lined up already. I'll still be doing some internet policy work, but also a little bit more of um, compliance and document review and operations in the privacy space. As far as how I found the foundry, right when I first learned that tech policy was a field that existed and I could get into, this was around the the end of my first year of law school, I started looking for for opportunities of how I could get involved. And the Foundry was actually one of the first things I found. I didn't quite understand what the Foundry was or who it was open to, or if it was something that I should look into more. Um, But I did find the the job board, the Foundry's job board. And so I've been using that um, ever since back then to to try to find internships and eventually full-time work in, in tech policy. A few years later, I saw on LinkedIn that the Foundry was bringing in a new class of fellows. And I thought, oh, this is great. Like, I am a early to mid-stage technology professional at this point. This sounds like something that um, would be perfect. Um, And I had also been listening to the podcast already. Um, I used to listen to Rima and Lemma talk about tech news, and that was my, my favorite part of the show. And I'm I'm still sad that we don't do that anymore. And what has been, other than obviously being involved with the podcast, some of the other things that you've gotten up to with the Foundry or sort of highlights so far? You know, it's, it's it's kind of hard for me to say because when I came into the Foundry, there was definitely more that I wanted to do besides the podcast. I really wanted to go to the trivia nights, go to um, the hackathons and um, state of the net conference. Um, But I I just haven't had a chance to do that. When I started editing the podcast, it was so much more work than I was expecting it to be. So those, that first month or month and a half, maybe, maybe two months of doing the podcast, I was spending like, like maybe six to eight hours on every episode editing it. Um, and I just, I just didn't have time to, to do other things in the foundry, like like writing or or planning events and things like that. Um, since then, my 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 editing time has gone down like drastically. I, it only takes about an hour now, usually per episode. But around that same time, when the podcast started taking less work, 
that's also about the time I started looking for a new for a new job. Um, and between working full time and doing the podcast and you know doing other things with um, like IAPP, I'm pretty active there. Um, and so I, I just unfortunately haven't had a lot of time to do anything besides the podcast. Yeah, it's interesting, Evan. I mean, one thing I'll say is Evan has done such an amazing job producing and editing uh, the podcast. And I think that something that really sticks out to me about the foundry is that everyone is incredibly busy with their day jobs, with other organizations that they're a part of, but there's still this consistency to, you know, putting out a podcast episode every week, um, really kind of staying on top of the projects that people say that they're going to commit to, which is really admirable um, and speaks to, you know, the people who are in the class that even though we're all spread out, we, we do chip in however we can. Um, On my end, I've been supporting with the production of the podcast, um, really kind of doing the, post-production, I would say, um, after Evan edits the podcast. Um, you know, Lama helps out with graphics. Rima obviously does a lot of the um, preparation work and the hosting and interviewing. Um, and then I kind of wrap it all up and make sure that we're ready to go for our posts on, on every um, Thursday morning. Um, so that's been a really interesting experience. And honestly, kind of a forcing function for me to stay up to date on what's going on in the tech policy space, because I listen to the episodes every time that I post them. But I think one of the highlights for me for this year, or, you know, a little bit less than a year, has been um, meeting all of the Foundry Fellows at our kickoff weekend that we had in March, um, which lined up with the State of the Net Conference. So not only were we able to get together in person, meet each other, kind of start this two-year chapter of being fellows together um, and bonding a lot over, you know, the state of the net and, you know, even doing karaoke together um, and really forming friendships that I think are, you know, they go beyond just doing these kind of transactional things or, you know, connecting someone to a job, but it's really more of a community. Um, And the State of the Net conference for me was eye-opening because it was the first time that I went to a conference that was really for, mostly for people who work in DC on the Hill um, to kind of connect with others who are in the tech policy space. Um, And so because I've kind of come into this from the private sector. You know, I work at a tech company in the trust and safety space. It was really interesting to hear from people who are focused on regulations and what's going on in, you know, the legislative space and um, how that affects the private sector. I I would say it was really um, kind of a revealing way to learn about the industry. So that would be my highlight. What's one thing that you're each looking forward to, sort of boundary-wise, personal-wise, professional-wise, can be anything? So one thing I'm really looking forward to professionally is I think I think 
a lot of us in the foundry sort of share this eagerness to learn about emerging technologies and how the policy space interacts with that. Um, and there's just been a lot of opportunities through the foundry to kind of learn about emerging technology, artificial intelligence, what's everything that's going on in that world, which is moving so quickly. So I think I'm just looking forward to diving deeper into that through opportunities that the Foundry offers with this community, um, as well as locally in New York. I think there's a lot of um, interesting events that are coming up. It's it's New York Tech Week this week. So that's something I'm looking forward to. And then personally, I think I'm really looking forward to uh, sort of the end of the year break that we have um, at, at the company that I work at, um, and I'm looking forward to um, kind of traveling and, and getting a little bit of a break. But yeah. First, I want to say I, my my advice to anybody who's listening and thinking of becoming a Foundry Fellow is to just like send in an application now. It's, it is a really great experience and you learn a lot and you become so connected to so many people that you would never get to connect to otherwise um, and you don't need to be like me and wait until you are out of law school um, to apply because it's it's a really great learning experience, um, and you don't want to you don't want to put that off until later. So I am excited to see what the next class of fellows looks like whenever we start bringing them on. Um, I'm really excited to see what the podcast is going to look like going forward um, in the next couple of months as our our class five takes on more responsibilities at the foundry. And we see who um, who wants to to move into to bigger roles. I second that, Evan. I think it's really exciting to know that we're going to have another class um, and a cohort of amazing people joining us next year. And um, just plus one hundred to that. Send in an application. Like I'm one of those people who thought, you know, I'm not the traditional candidate for this, but. Um, I've been able to learn so much and connected with people who, um, you know, have really brought a lot to my professional and personal life. So it's it's been great. And then the other thing I would say is if you are interested in the Foundry, definitely check out our podcast, check out the Medium blog, check out um, our LinkedIn page and um get as much information as you need before you send in that application. If you're listening and you're interested in applying to the Foundry, stay tuned because pretty soon we'll be releasing applications for class six. So we'll let you know on this show when that happens, but you can also check out our social media for the latest updates. In the meantime, thank you so much, Evan and Daniela, for joining the show. Thank you so much for having us, Rima. Thanks for coming on the show, Zia. It's good to see you. Um, We've met in person before a couple of times at various foundry shindigs, but I wanted to catch up with you and see what's been going on. sort of hear your foundry story as a member of the latest class. So maybe to start off, what got you interested in the foundry in the first place? Sure. Yeah. Nice to see you again, Rima. Um, 
My foundry story is quite interesting. I actually heard about it through one of my mentors who suggested it. And the thing that really drew me to the foundry was my interest in tech policy as a whole. Uh, having worked as a technologist and working in tech for almost seven years now across AI, quantum computing, fintech, it's it's evident that, um, you know, tech and the policy world have a lot to, in common. And being able to the, bridge the gap between those two is something that's, uh, I guess, right now a hobby, but eventually something that I'd be more keen at, you know, leveraging my experiences in the tech sector to help impact. And not having any knowledge of tech policy, the foundry and being able to be a part of the foundry was a way for me to, you know, meet with like-minded individuals and get to learn more about, you know, what this space could look like. Awesome. And to rewind a bit, what exactly do you do in your day job and what sort of initiated your interest in tech policy and tech work in the first place? Sure. Yeah. Um, while I have more technical degrees in my one, one degree is in electrical engineering and another is in neuroscience. I don't practice those anymore. Uh, I currently work at Amazon in the web services group in quantum computing. So I'm a product manager for AWS Quantum. And so we have a quantum computing service that allows anyone around the world to gain access to quantum computers and use them for experimentation or research. The thing that really got me interested in tech was, you know, I'd been studying, you know, these technical fields and AI back then was just emerging. And my first job, you know, as a product manager was working on IBM's Watson. And so being able to work on Watson, being able to work on, you know, this cutting edge tech at the time really allowed me to, you know, be more boots on the ground and learn more about what's going on. And, you know, as I continued working in the AI space and eventually quantum computing, this theme around emerging tech and being able to build products, you know, talk to customers, um, find out what their need was, what their pain points were, and really be a customer obsessed to deliver features for them and help solve their pain points is what drove me into, you know, product management, emerging tech. And then eventually I heard about this policy space and was like, oh, there is an opportunity for these two to interact. You being a technologist, I want to pick your brain <laughs> and try to understand this quantum thing a little better because even to this day, it still somewhat goes over my head. Yeah, so quantum computing is a, uh, a new type of technology. It's currently in the research stages. And so similar to how you have you know, your regular computers you might have CPUs, you might have GPUs or, you know, graphic processing units. You also have quantum processing units. This is a early stage technology that uses some of the properties of quantum physics to allow different types of computation. And so at Amazon, what we're doing is we've built a service, a managed quantum computing service that allows researchers to gain access to these quantum computers. Uh, they come in various types. So right now there's different types of quantum computers that you can access. And given their complexity and their size, they have to be in very specific environments. So it's very hard for people to have, you know, a quantum computer in their house and 
our service at Amazon Bracket allows people to, you know, build algorithms, run these algorithms on the colonial computers, run some tests, and then get their results back. But what makes these different from regular computers or classical computers, as we call them, is their ability to solve more complex problems. Right now, quantum computers are, you know, they have their own errors, so they are error prone. And so a lot of customers have to run, you know, their quantum programs multiple times to get results. But a lot of the quantum computing research is around, you know, financial industry, chemical simulations, uh, optimization, and being able to use quantum computers to, you know, like simulate what hydrogen looks like or, you know, determine various optimization problems is where they really shine. Right now, there's still a research technology, but the idea is as the hardware improves, as it gets better, um, these error rates will go down. And so we'll start seeing some more applications of them. But right now, it's all research-based. Interesting. And what are some of the big benefits and risks from your point of view of widening access to quantum computing technology? Yeah, right now, uh, I think access is something that, you know, all of the cloud providers are working on. So, you know, Amazon Bracket is our quantum computing service. IBM has a quantum computing service. Um, a lot of cloud vendors out there have quantum computing services and making sure that people have access to them. Uh, the education is out there. We're really hoping to, you know, allow anyone in the world to gain access to these computers, learn how they work. We're really in an education stage right now as well. Okay. And that's mostly for innovation purposes or research and trying to understand yeah, so from a, yeah, from a use case point of view, we do have researchers and customers who are working on, you know, the actual technologies, understanding how they work better, making sure we're able to get these quantum computers improved over time. But then there's also that educational aspect. So if you can imagine when computers first came out, people were trying to understand how they work, gain access to them, you know, better understand how to use them. And so there are a lot of educational, you know, opportunities out there for people to figure out, you know, what is a quantum computer? How does it work? And so being able to take these classes um, is one focus area right now before the true application of them begins. Because while they're in a research and development stage, the best one of the best things that can be done right now is educate people or provide educational resources through the Internet um, at no cost to you know, users too. Back to the foundry. You've been a class five fellow for past couple months. What has been a highlight so far from being a part of the foundry? I mentioned earlier that I had this interest in tech policy and coming into the foundry, I didn't have much uh, information on what tech policy would be. Um, you know, any resources, any individuals in the space. I had some surface level connections, but in the past, I guess it's been a year almost, in the past year of being in the foundry, it's been amazing to, you know, meet individuals who are in the text policy space, people who work in this space on a day-to-day -day basis, 
or people who have this shared interest to learn more about events to go to, um, you know, networking opportunities and places to find information. So I've really enjoyed that element of, you know, being in the foundry, being with a group of like-minded individuals that can um, educate me on this space more. And what's one thing that you are looking forward to with the foundry and also just generally in life? Um, with the foundry, I'm really looking forward to this hackathon that happens next year, um, this policy hackathon. I've never really been a part of one. When I usually hear hackathons, I think of, you know, a bunch of people in a room programming. And so it'll be really interesting to see what a policy hackathon is like. So I'm really keen to explore what that looks like. Um, outside of that, uh, I'm really looking forward to this new bakery I discovered in New York. It's called <laughs> Libre. They have this rose pistachio croissant. Um, I had it once and I need to have it again. So that's something that's on my mind in the short term. As a Lebanese person, anything rose flavored, I'm immediately there. So I'm... Or the pistachio. True, actually, true. The pistachio hits home. True. I'm a bad Lebanese <laughs> in, the, in that way because I'm not a pistachio person. But... Oh, no. We'll have to fix that in post. <laughs> Thanks, Sia, and catch up with you later. See you, Rima. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Tech Policy Grind. If you enjoyed the show, get in touch with us at Foundry Podcasts with an S at ilpfoundry.us or leave us a review wherever you're tuning in. I'm Rima Musa, the host of the show. And this podcast wouldn't be possible without the help of our team at the Internet Law and Policy Foundry. Thank you to Evan Enzer for editing this episode, Lama Muhammad, our social coordinator, Alison McReynolds, our accessibility coordinator, and Tim Lorden at the Internet Education Foundation. See you next time.